Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to educating and empowering men to address erectile dysfunction, improve confidence, and enhance the satisfaction in their relationships. This podcast is brought to you by ErectionIQ.com. Learn more at ErectionIQ.com. Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. I am Mark Goldberg, Certified Sex Therapist. I am deeply passionate about working with men like you to help resolve their ED. We are here on the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast with Dr. William Mills. Dr. Mills is a board-certified physical therapist. One of his focuses is on men's pelvic floor issues and the impact that it has on quality of life and sexual function. Today, we want to discuss on this episode pelvic pain and erectile dysfunctions. Dr. Mills, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mark. Okay, so just to get us started, can you provide like an overview of what pelvic pain is and what connection, if any, exists between pelvic pain and erectile dysfunction? Yeah, so pelvic pain is or has been historically um, branded in the general sense as chronic prostatitis in most medical circles. Um, and it's historically been diagnosed by urologists and, uh, the best diagnosis pattern of that has been, um, patient presents with pelvic pain. Um, there's, there's a prostate exam. There's a chance that there could be an infection. Uh, the patients put on antibiotics and the pain typically does or does not get better. Um, in my area with my pelvic pain patients, um, that's almost been a hundred percent of the cases as far as how they present and what they've experienced in the past from different medical providers. Um, and the, the definition of pelvic pain is slowly growing, um, and gaining more recognition for something that isn't exclusively organ based and doesn't necessarily need to be treated just by treating an organ because humans are, you know, developed multifaceted beings, um, and pain isn't just organ centric. Uh, one of, one of my friends, uh, Dr. Kelly Boudreau, uh, he's a urologist. Uh, he, he explains it as that. And it's one of my favorite definitions that we're slowly moving away from pelvic pain being an organ centric diagnosis. Um, because usually it isn't, uh, sometimes it is, but usually it isn't. And you, know, you mentioned, uh, prostatitis, which I, I assume is the inflammation of the prostate. Is that correct? Yeah. It, it's one of those things where the, the definition assumes that there's inflammation. Um, but, I'm kind of drawing, I, I treat a lot of people orthopedically as well in the fitness space. Um, we kind of treat across the continuum, um, both in the pelvic and ortho performance domains. Um, so my focus isn't always what the problem is, but what is it affecting and how can we make it better? Um, so in this case, I treat males so they can, they can, meet and exceed their goals for relationships, for fitness, uh, for sex. Um, and 
pelvic pain can be a hindrance. Lumbopelvic pain can be a part of this. Um, so we, we typically don't just assess the pelvic floor muscles. In my case, being a physical therapist, we're typically the ones that are assessing the pelvic floor musculature, um, not just doing a digital rectal exam to examine the prostate. Um, in a lot of cases, definition-wise of prostatitis, there's not a whole lot there as far as an explanation of does it or does it not feel inflamed. Um, typically, the patients aren't having a fever or something along the lines of an infection. And prostatitis is typically um, based as a diagnosis of infection of the prostate causing inflammation of the prostate causing pain. And more often than not, when you dig deeper into the, uh, the resources and research of the accuracy of that diagnosis, a lot of the testing doesn't go as deep into the test to rule in a specific bacteria. And most guys just get put on antibiotics as a, I guess, lowest, lowest effective dose or first line defense. Um, but in a lot of cases that can cause problems down the line if there as actually wasn't a full on infection. Um, and so what I'm gathering, what I'm gathering is yeah. that um, pelvic pain is much more of a descriptor um, than it is a precise diagnosis. And it has like multiple possible causes um, yes. that could be contributing to this pain that is not easily discernible, you know, just by, just by exam. Is that correct? Yes. So the more, the more that I've practiced in my community, the more referrals that I get, the more, um, people that have the issue find us online versus getting referrals from different urologists. Um, the, the, types of pelvic pain change. Um, I have people that have pelvic pain as a distinguisher, but have pain in one testicle. I have people that have pain in, uh, on the right front side of their groin. And upon doing an, an evaluation, it's not actually their pelvic floor that's generating the problem. It's more of a hip flexor dysfunction but they went to see a urologist because previously seeing in primary care physician or an ortho, um, you know, doing an x-ray, doing an MRI didn't find anything. So it hurts in this area. So we're going to send them to urology and then that that's where the next step is taken. I have people that have tailbone pain, um, SI joint labeled pain, um, pain in the middle of the pelvic floor, um, or perineal pain, um, lower abdominal pain, rectal pain, all of those things kind of fall into the bucket or distinguisher of pelvic pain, but it can mean a lot of different things. Okay. So Dr. Mills, can you share with our listeners how pelvic pain or prostatitis um, could impact sexual function and in particular erections? Sure. So 
uh, pelvic pain can or cannot interact with erections um, in the sense that some guys that do have pelvic pain um, will have problems with erections. Some people will maintain their erections and um, even have, in certain instances, relief uh, by using their erections or you know, ejaculating or, or trying to reach orgasm. Um, so in, in the guys that have pelvic pain problems, um, it's, it's important to, um, get dive a little deeper into the erectile dysfunction component. Um, sometimes it's physiological, sometimes it's psychological, sometimes it's pain driven. Um, if something is hurting and, somebody, you know, is going through the cycle of not being as interested in sex because something around their genitals is painful. Um, that's going to have a, you know, a, a pretty a plus B equals C type of problem. Um, it, they're not going to want to use it. So they start to lose it. Um, in other words, it's so you're saying it's, if it's associated with something not pleasant, painful, uncomfortable, um, over time, people are just going to avoid like, engaging in sexual activity. And then it kind of goes down that road of if you don't use it, then You'll, like, you, you start to lose to, it. Start to lose it. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. we jokingly with the saying in the clinic use a boner a day keeps the doctor away. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a good sign of male health to normally have erections. Um, so, you know, so these erections can gauge from, uh, voluntary or life circumstances erections. These erections can also include nocturnal erections, um, erections that you're having at night while you're sleeping. Um, that's a normal mm -hmm. good cycle. We also call those maintenance boners. Um, so it's your, it's your body cycling blood, through the penile tissues for maintaining use of it. Um, even if you aren't regularly using it throughout the day, more often than not, or I don't, I don't want to say more often than not, but a lot of times clinically speaking, um, these guys can also start to lose their erections nocturnally. Um, that's a whole other aspect of erectile dysfunction. Um, in a lot of instances as a barometer of, for cardiovascular health. Um, so I, I feel like usually, um, when, when the full picture is painted in an evaluation process, um, the typical for a pelvic pain presentation is a little bit of each. Um, they're, they're less interested in sex, so they don't want to use it. Um, you know, a lot of pelvic pain, guys have um, problems with anxiety related to this thing going on in their lives, potentially altering relationships or pre preventing relationship building um, with partners. Mm -hmm. And it comes at a, at a high perceived cost for them. So anxiety is very prevalent. Um, I regularly refer my patients to a, a mental health counselor, a friend of mine 
who's well-versed in sexual dysfunctions um, and cognitive behavioral therapy. So, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of things to work through. Um, all of this kind of goes back to the point of more often than not, it's all, it's not always organ centric. Um, so, you know, lack of, and it's, it, it seems, yeah, it seems like it's multifactorial, which is something that we, we, we talk a lot about on this podcast. And I appreciate um, the collaboration that, that you engage in. I know that as a sex therapist myself, um, we're oftentimes collaborating with the medical and you know, physical therapy and whatnot, because it is very difficult to be able to discern um, if there is like, you know, the, the primary factor that's causing this. And a lot of times it does take that multidisciplinary approach um, to make this happen. So Dr. Yeah. Dr. Mills, is there a specific risk factor or a specific patient profile that's more prone to pelvic, plan, uh, pelvic pain um, as compared to the general population? As far as, far as pelvic pain um, problems, people um, of a lower socioeconomic status can be more prone to, uh, chronicity of the problem. Um, just by not having the resources, um, and knowledge to, to know where to go. Um, getting thrown into the, I guess the, the circular, uh, type of issue that we had talked about, um, earlier in the podcast where they go to primary care, urology, have the problem for long-term pelvic PT. That's the, that's the typical, uh, course of action. That can be the typical course of action, um, that I've seen. And, uh, from, from a pelvic pain perspective, um, I think the, I think the most correct stat is one in six men will experience some form of pelvic pain under 50. Um, so the chances of getting it at some point in your life, whether it's, you know, major or minor or insidious, um, or comes out of nowhere, it's, it's relatively high. Um, but in a lot of cases, I try to have the conversation of if you were living your life in a way that's performance-based, if something like this does come up, it will not, ha <clears throat> not the chances of it having a big effect on you and taking a long time to correct is low. Um, the, the first, the first time I've had a patient that has only had this issue for six weeks happened a couple of weeks ago when we got a referral from another physical therapy clinic, uh, that knew that we dealt with men's pelvic pain. Um, which is awesome. I told the patient, I've never had a patient get referred to us this quickly. The majority of people that I see have had the problem for over two years. Um, so there, there's a lot of uh, progress uh, being made, a lot more still to be made. Um, but the recognition of it, I think, is a big part of progressing that. Yeah. Dr. Mills, can you speak a little bit toward the um, psychological impact of pelvic pain? Um, in particular, if you could share about your experience treating men with pelvic pain um, and the potential distress that this causes. 
causes it causes a lot of distress. Um, the the anxiety portion that I've mentioned before is typically a big one. Uh, depression. We try to we try to gauge depression levels or gauge like a on a scale from zero to ten how depressed does your issue make you feel on our initial intake forms, just because we were well aware that that is a a very typical comorbidity. Um, I think it's, I think a lot of it's generated from the chronicity aspect because usually these guys have this problem for a long time before they're actually getting the right help. That's moving them in the opposite direction, not just reacting to their current problem. Um, but with most things, you can only do that for so long before things start to change. Um, so, you know, with my younger guys, a lot of it is relational, um, where they're not seeking out a partner. Um, you know, it's a normal male drive to want to seek out a partner, have relationship. Um, you know, I have a, I have an eight month, eight month old puppy and I've learned a lot about, uh, instinct and how to help set how to help my puppy Omega uh, play into certain instincts from a health standpoint. Uh, digging is a problem that she has. So I'm, I'm looking into getting like a little dig pit because that satiates the instinct, right? Males are hardwired to, to want to seek out relationship. Um, and when that doesn't happen in a lot of cases, that can be a weighted factor. Um, progression of anxiety, progression of not wanting to do as much. Um, one of my most difficult patients um, has had a, a tailbone pain uh, for several years, and it was causing him anxiety with traveling more than an hour. Um, and he and his wife recently retired, have been planning for the past 20 years, what they want to do and where they want to travel upon retiring. And it's this, this tailbone pain has very much limited his ability to want to go outside of a 60 mile radius of his home because he's afraid that if he's driving a truck or driving an RV long distances, um, he's going to get into a situation where he's not going to be able to tolerate it or it's not, it's no longer going to be fun. Um, so it can be a joy killer. I mean, acutely it's a joy killer. Um, chronically it can be this, this snowball effect of growing problems. Uh, we try to find the main factors to halt that snowball process. That could be psychological, that could be physiological. If the patient is not doing anything, and all they're doing is sitting and we start tracking their steps and they took 1500 steps. I'm going to say the physiological, the cardiovascular side could be a very problem if they've been on erectile dysfunction medication for the past 10 years. And they're also on blood pressure medication and also on depression and anxiety medication. That's like a cocktail to not be able to get it up. Um, or be relying on something to be able to get it up. So having the conversation of like, what are health barometers that we can look to improve 
that if you start doing these over the course of the next four to six weeks, we should see changes and then we can weigh those against the other things that may or may not be changing. We, we try to be as objective yeah. as possible. So, so let's kind of shift to talking about treatment. So I'm going to make the assumption that um, the patient in our example has already seen a urologist and has those broad spectrum, low dose, first line defense antibiotics. They also have a mental health therapist. So as far as you're concerned, those two pieces are in line. And now it would seem that there is something physiological, but not necessarily an infection going on here. What does treatment for pelvic pain look like? And I recognize that not all pelvic pain is the same. So I'm going to ask you to talk in generalities. Um, just to give our listeners a sense of what physical therapy does in these instances. And in particular, if it's physical, if it's, um, pelvic, if it's, uh, pelvic pain that is associated with erectile dysfunction, if there's something specific or unique to that treatment. Okay. I might need you to relay that last one after my initial answer. Um, so, so being, being a therapist that doesn't just treat pelvic patients, um, and has seen enough ortho and pelvic patients to recognize that usually something orthopedic is going on. Um, you know, we talk about the pelvic floor, the pelvis, the abdomen, and the diaphragm um, as a can um, in the sense of breathing and bracing, lifting, um, breathing, abdominal musculature, lumbar, nerves, pelvic nerves, um, muscles that cross the pelvis that start in the lumbar and cross the pelvis, your hip flexors, uh, the hips, the glutes, the adductors, all of these muscularly, um, or neurovascularly can play a role in reproduction of symptoms. So anytime I have a patient come in, we go through the subjective, we talk about the things that we need to see going in the right direction as it pertains to the pelvic floor, as it pertains to the general health system. So bladder, bowel, and sexual function are the three, or our big three. Um, first visit, we're gonna take a, take a look, a hard take at all of those systems and how they play with the pelvic floor. Um, and then we're gonna check the pelvic floor. Um, I was trained in internal exam, external internal exams. I've also been trained in using uh, real-time ultrasound. Uh, typically, whenever you know we're looking at the the base level of uh, symptom reproduction or provocation, palpation is a big thing that a manual therapist or a pelvic therapist or a physical therapist is typically going to use. Um, and I was, I'm a St. Augustine grad, so I'm manual therapy trained. Um, so I do a lot of manual therapies for lumbopelvic dysfunctions, um, when I'm treating patients in person, um, because it can streamline the process of, if this is reproduced, we can positively affect this, uh, work on strengthening this, improve the endurance of this, decrease the potential for irritating tone of this muscle, um, or retrain this muscle. So 
from, from an initial standpoint, if I'm treating a patient in person, that's typically the route that we're going to take. Um, the next step after that is getting into more of the lumbar and the pelvis, lumbar range of motion, different standards for core, back and hip um, loading and tolerance, um, and then abdominal and groin palpation. Um, I have a lot of people that, let's say, um, let's use an example of someone that has an iliohypogastric nerve uh, dysfunction and has searing pain, you know, right above the inguinal canal on the front of the pelvis, lower abdomen, um, and it gets worse whenever they're lifting. In the general sense, that would be considered pelvic pain. They're probably most likely to see a pelvic therapist for that issue. Um, but if it's, if it's a pelvic pain that's getting worsened by a bracing strategy, we need to work through breathing and bracing, uh, bracing in a different way to be able to tolerate that load and then progressing those movements so that there's a lot of overlay. Um, I, I also have the conversation with the patient of there's a lot of things to look at here musculoskeletally that gives us a lot of options. It could be a more pelvic floor generated problem. Uh, it could be a more lumbar and hip generated problem. We don't know until we check it all. So we're going to just check it all. Um, and go from there because it's the most time efficient and I don't want you to continue to go through this cycle. So in that regard, that's how we try to like break the cycle, uh, put, put a hard stop on it and then take the next steps uh, of where we need to go from there. Okay. That, that, that does seem to make sense. And if I'm, if I'm understanding you correctly, um, the physical therapy you know, process of all of this has a lot to do with sometimes strengthening the other muscles around the pelvic floor, but sometimes it could be addressing the pelvic floor directly, depending on where like the source of the pain seems to be coming from or where there might be weakness in, you know, various areas of the body, either connected to or directly related to the pelvic floor. Yes. Um, is this a longer term type of treatment? And in particular, kind of getting back to the erection side of things, um, are there particular areas that seem to be more associated with erectile dysfunction from a physiological standpoint? So the erectile dysfunction component, um, physiologically, the, the pains of, um, let's say if, if someone had a more shallow to deep perennial type of pain. Um, and, you know, upon palpation, they're, uh, you know, right smack dab in the middle of the, of the perineum is super tender and you palpate, you know, bulbospongiosum and it, it's super painful. Well, why is it painful? Not totally sure just yet. Does it, progress with maintaining pressure and breathing into that pressure um, to generate a release, right? Um, and then that's followed with continued breathing, relaxation techniques, um, may or may not look like uh, 
doing a contraction of the pelvic floor um, or just doing, you know, self check-ins intermittently throughout the day with a little bit of uh, ball breathing. We call it ball breathing. I'm in Louisiana, so we're um, always well-stocked with tiny foam footballs that get thrown from Mardi Gras parades, uh, which is like the easiest thing to just pass over to a patient and say, okay, find the tender spot, breathe into the tender spot. Don't, don't give it a whole lot of pressure that feels more than a four out of 10 on the intensity scale and try it. Okay. Well, that decreases your symptoms. Well, let's use that as a self check-in technique throughout the day. Um, physiologically, your pelvic floor muscles need to relax to be able to have an erection uh, in that in that blood flow cascade that changes um, whenever whenever a male gets stimulated. So, if the pelvic floor muscles can't relax, that can potentially change the physiological function of it because it's like you know it's like hitting a wall. But there's also suggestion of maintaining an erection. Uh, pelvic floor endurance can benefit maintaining erection during sex. Um, general fitness and having a, a higher cardio base uh, can allow, you know, standing in a sexual position or changing positions frequently in a sexual uh, sexual manner um, physiologically easier if you were fitter. Therefore, your ability to maintain an erection in different positions can also improve. Um, there, yeah. There's a lot of, and then when it comes into the, the synchronous aspects of the can, um, teaching patients to be aware of their breath during sexual function can also be helpful. Um, breath holding can increase increase arousal, um, or decrease, uh, being relaxed and change things for patients. Um, some people that have premature ejaculation have trouble with breath holding, uh, to where it's not technically erectile dysfunction, but you're not going to maintain your erection as long if you're reaching mm -hmm. orgasm sooner than you want to. Um, Muscular play in all of those are things that we like to check. Um, not just what the muscle is, but how the muscle operates during the activity and how that, how is that getting connected to the brain? Um, we try to, we try to get into that. So it sounds, yeah, it sounds like the erection issues, whether it's a problem gaining an erection, maintaining an erection are like soft indicators of where you might be looking, but it certainly is not an absolute. Correct. So it might just tell you, you should be checking on, you know, pelvic floor tone, et cetera, et cetera. But again, there's, since, since everything here is multifactorial, there could still be psychological pieces going on. There could be um, other broader physiological issues going on that pertain to circulation that are not necessarily related to the pelvic floor. So if I'm hearing you correctly, this may give you a clue, but that clue may lead nowhere and it may resolve the patient's problem. Um, but really everything is really much more about assessment and ruling out 
and you know, trying to get down to what the primary drivers and factors are, but there is no you know, singular surefire way to be able to identify it other than um, running through you know, assessments and checking and intervention and seeing what the impact is. Is correct. that correct? Yeah. And if uh, to, to piggyback off of soft indications or symptom management or symptom modification, um, I, I regularly talk about this scenario um, because it was a, a scenario that a patient that I co-treated earlier in my career uh, benefited from where he was having relationship problems. He wasn't as much of a pelvic pain case, but a premature ejaculation case with higher tone of his pelvic floor muscles. Um, the, the distinguishing tone is also something that we're, we have a, a working knowledge of as therapists, but what it actually means is still being unfolded on, but it's something that we have at our disposal, disposal to use, right? So I typically do it. Um, but the fact that he was having the premature ejaculation issue was causing relational issues where working on these things uh, from a muscle standpoint, from a habit standpoint was progressing, but not to the degree that he wanted. And the therapist that I was co-treating with asked, well, would you still be, would you still have as hard of a, uh, a hard time, not, not for a double entendre there, but as, as okay. hard of a time, uh, not getting so upset if after you orgasmed, you didn't lose your erection. If you were on a low dose of Cialis or Viagra and he said, no, I, I think I would, I think I would be okay if, if I just kept it and it didn't really break the pace of what, what me and my wife were doing. And she mm -hmm. was like, okay, well maybe that's something that we can talk to your urologist about because if that gives you a bigger window of opportunity to have more sex and potentially increase your, um, your confidence in the erections, because as a, um, as a sex therapist, I'm sure you're talking a lot to your patients about confidence, like the physical component, mm -hmm. progressing the confidence to facilitate the, you know, the neural implications, the brain implications of maintaining yeah. the erection is also super important. So if, if a low dose of Cialis can bridge that to then say, okay, let's try this for a few months and see where things progress that can make a huge positive gain in the right direction for the patient where it, it might be null and void of a problem in the next few months rather than this issue that lingers for a long time yep and i think i think the point i'm hearing you make with this is also that that beyond it being multifactorial patient goals and satisfaction also very tremendously. So we can talk about this as providers with you know some you know theoretical objective outcome. But like when you ask the patient that question, like would you be satisfied if you could maintain the erection like for longer 
than the premature post ejaculation. If you're a patient that has premature ejaculation, when they say yes, that also kind of changes the direction of treatment. Right. Um, and again, it's a, a very multifactorial thing. Dr. Mills, I, I really appreciate uh, the per, the perspective that you share and something that I, I share as well about this being really multifactorial. This has been very informative to hear just about pelvic pain, the impact that it has both psychologically and physiologically. Um, I think our listeners are going to benefit from this, whether they do have um, have experienced uh, pelvic pain in the past um, or not. I think there's a lot that can be gleaned from this episode. So I really want to thank you for your time. I appreciate you coming on and Absolutely. joining us. Absolutely. Uh, it was a it was a great chat. Uh, the multifactorial aspect is again couldn't agree more. Um, pushing pushing that out there, um, I think, is something that is a is a hope driver in th- in its simplest form. Things to check um, that you haven't run out of things to check by just saying. You know, well, you don't have an infection. I guess this is just something that I'm going to have to live with. Um, you have you have different options. You just have to seek out those options. Yeah, yeah. multifactorial is it, it sounds complex and overwhelming, but I think the the silver lining of that is that there also are multi treatment options and multiple ways um, to be able to get to better uh, sexual function and um erection so once again thank you very much dr mills we look forward to getting this episode out to our thanks for having me mark thanks for listening to the erectile dysfunction radio podcast for more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction please visit erectioniq.com that's erectioniq.com